So if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you guys are here. Glad you're visiting. Um, 2 Timothy 2, uh, I'll, tell, I'll kind of clue, clue you in on 2 Timothy so far. This is the last letter that Paul writes. Uh, he's in prison in Rome awaiting execution. And he's writing to his spiritual son in the faith whose name is Timothy. So he's writing to Timothy. And essentially he's saying, Timothy, I hope you can come and visit me one time before I die. And um, I have some things I want to tell you. And I hope that you're going to listen to me. And the essence of the letter, the essence of the letter is to endure to the end. That's kind of a summary of Paul's message. He's saying, endure to the end, Timothy, endure to the end. And so some highlights so far, if you're just here for the first time. I think we're on sermon number six or something like that. So he said, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Instead, suffer for it. That was in chapter one, verse eight. He said, guard the gospel at all costs. Chapter one, verse 14. He said, entrust gospel responsibility to people who will pass it on at the beginning of chapter two. And last week we looked at how Paul said, communicate the gospel clearly. He said specifically, cut it straight, cut the gospel clearly, cut it straight so that people know what you're talking about. And so if you think about all these things that, that we've been going over, most of these things have to do with what I would say are gospel competencies. competencies. When we talk about what makes a good leader, um, we talk about how a leader needs to be competent, right? A leader also needs to have good character. Um, but these are all issues of competency. Being able to equip other people to take the gospel to the next generation, that's an issue of competency. Being able to clearly communicate the gospel, that's an issue of competency. Right? Being able to guard the gospel at all costs, that's an issue of competency. Now, competency is just being able to do something successfully. Now, the important thing to realize here with that issue of competency is that you can develop competency through training. In other words, you can come to a weekend course and I can teach you the basics of how to prepare a lesson, right? You can come to a weekend and we can teach you the basics of how you share the gospel with someone or how you disciple someone. Those things can be trained, right? You can train those, those things. You can watch a YouTube video where you learn how to improve in those things. But now Paul is going to pivot because in the next section of this book, Paul's going to stop talking about gospel competency and Paul's going to start talking about gospel character, gospel character. Now, character is defined as the mental and moral qualities of a person. So if gospel competency is about what you do, then gospel character is about who you are as a follower of Jesus. And so if you think about some of the things Paul's already said, not being ashamed of the gospel, that's more an issue of character than of competency. Okay, Um, being willing to suffer for Jesus, that's more an issue of character than competency. Enduring to the end, definitely an issue of character. So Paul has just in his previous section, he's just told Timothy, look, Timothy, you need to find people that you can entrust with the gospel, faithful people who will teach others, who will teach others, who will teach others. And I guarantee there's at least one of you who over the last few weeks as you've been here, you've been thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's great, that's fine, but that's not me. Like, I can't speak too good, you know what I mean? 
I need to go to the Derek Zoolander Center for kids who can't read good and want to learn to do other things good too. You know, that's how you feel about yourself. All right, and, and maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're thinking, I can't do these things. Uh, what about the rest of us? What about people who can't communicate well, who can't clearly articulate things? What about people who aren't going to be teachers, and so on and so forth? Because the thing that the enemy tells us is, well, God is not going to use you because he uses guys who are holding microphones and say silly things. That's who he uses. And that's the question that Paul is specifically going to address. Paul is going to emphatically make it clear today that is God going to use you? Can God use you? Yes, absolutely. Emphatically so. Because when it comes to being useful to the Lord, character is more important than competency every day of the week. If you want to be useful to the Lord, your character is far more important than your competency. So he's in verse 20. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. He's talking about a chamber pot. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, you guys don't have chamber pots, most likely. But in your home, in your garage, in your shed, you have things made out of plastic. You have things made out of wood, okay? You have Tupperware containers. You have old five-gallon buckets that you use for gardening, right? You have cutting boards uh, that are made out of plastic. You have dust pans that are made out of plastic. You have wooden spoons. You have two-by-four scraps. You have wooden salad bowls. If you grab a dirty five-gallon bucket and you use it next time we have a church get-together and you carry like a big thing of chili in it and it's still got like dirt on the side, no one's going to eat your chili, okay? Because we look at that and it's not about the fact that it's plastic, it's about the fact that we look at it and we know that it's nasty, okay? It's dirty. But if you brought that in a five-gallon bucket that was food-grade and clean, nobody would think a thing of it. At least I wouldn't. I'd eat your chili, guys. Okay? I just want you to know that. Now, if you come over my house and I'm stirring my pasta with a wooden spoon that I got at the dollar store, so we're assuming it's really good wood because I bought it at the dollar store, you probably wouldn't think a thing of it. But if you came over my house and all of a sudden I walked into the garage and I came back with like a paint stirrer, and I'm stirring my pasta, you'd be like, something's going on. If I had like a two by four, you'd think I was a witch, right? Stirring my pasta in a big cauldron, okay? And so the point is this, it's not about the content of whatever it is, it's about our perception of the use based upon how we are actually using it. And so this is Paul's argument here, and you need to see this. Paul's argument is that there's all different kinds of people in the church. That there's gonna be people who are gifted in teaching, there's going to be people who are gifted in leading. There's going to be people who are gifted in serving. There's going to be people who are gifted in praying, in giving, in all manner of different things. And Paul's point is that your gifts, hear me, because this is a lie. This is the American culture lie. Your gifts are not what make you useful or honorable to the Lord. It's not about your gifts. What makes you useful or honorable is your character. That's what makes you useful. Now, Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about usefulness to push the gospel forward to the next generation. That's the context of the first part of chapter two. So 
Paul goes on here to say that if a person cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, then he will be honorable. And he says that once you do that, there's going to be three things that are going to be true about you. He says, one, you're going to be set apart as holy. Now, set apart as holy, this kind of harkens back to the Old Testament with the idea that there was certain things that were set to the side. That's the real meaning of holy, to be cut apart. You had a lump of clay, you cut and you push it to the side. It was holy, set apart. But it wasn't just cut apart. It was cut apart for a specific purpose to honor God. All right? That's what makes it holy, set apart. And so the idea here is Paul saying, if you cleanse yourself of what is dishonorable, you're going to be holy and set apart. Okay, that's one. Two, he says you're going to be useful to the Lord. Now, if that's the only thing you hear, I want you to hear that. If you pursue this honorable, or we're going to explain in a little bit this gospel character, you will be useful to the Lord. In other words, God will use you. You may not be aware of everything he does. You may not be aware of the way that you encourage the people around you, or you may not see the actual outcome of every prayer that you pray, or the words that you say, or the way these ways that you bless your neighbor, or the people in your church family, whatever it might be. But if you pursue godly character in the gospel, you will be useful. Now that's really encouraging. Because for most of us, even, like I, I do this for a living, and, and most weeks I'm like, Am I doing anything with my life? But the truth is this. If we're pursuing the right thing, if we're pursuing Godly character, we can be confident that God is going to use us. And he says we're going to be ready for every good work. We're going to be ready for every good work. Okay? So this is what Paul is saying. If I'm going to summarize this, Paul is saying what makes you useful to the Lord isn't so much your giftedness or your competency, but your character. To put it another way, your integrity is more important than your skill set. Now listen, does everybody understand that? I mean, is that clearly communicated? Yes? Okay, because we don't get it as a culture. Because if you look at every area of our country, from our churches, yes, including our churches, from our churches, to our politicians, to our athletes, to our actors, to our whatever, in almost every area of life, we tolerate bad character if a person is competent. I mean, all the time. And so we're like, well, that guy killed three people. And you're like, yeah, but he is a great whatever. Fill in the blank. You know what I mean? It's like, that guy beat his wife, but he's a really fast running back. So it's okay. I mean, we, you guys joke, but this is true. You know that it's true. It's like, well, I didn't elect him because I thought he was a good guy. You know, <laughs> We tolerate bad character in people all the time. And that's, that spills into our churches as well. Because the bottom line is I have heard time and time again people say, I know that guy's a jerk, but he can preach really well. Right? You guys seem really uncomfortable all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. You know it's true. In our country, we, co- we tolerate bad character because we value competency. But if you, don't believe that I, if you don't believe that's true, I want you to think about it. Men, talking to all the, all the bros in the room, okay? Look, your lady doesn't care if you're the best golfer. 
if you're the best mortgage broker, if you have the best abs, you have the cleanest lines on your lawn, all right? I guarantee you she doesn't care. She wants you to not be a jerk. That's what she cares about. And if, if you're dating a girl who cares more about your abs than your character, you need to break up with her, okay? Um, just being serious here. The point is that your character is more important than all those other things, whether you're the best at this, that, or the other thing. In God's eyes, if you want to be useful to the Lord, the first thing you focus on is character. And then you can develop in your competencies, okay? So there was he saying. So how do we do this, Paul? Verse 22. So, therefore, that's what so means. So, therefore, flee youthful passions. That's going to be the first command. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you want to circle verse 22, that is the most important um, for our purposes today. That's the most important verse in this section. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. That's what we talked about last week, so we're not going to spend a lot of time there. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Okay, and so if you want to be useful to the Lord, if you want to be ready for every good work, if you want to be set apart as holy unto the Lord's purpose, this is what Paul says. He says, one, flee youthful passions, okay? You could summarize that by saying, flee the wrong things. Free, flee stuff you shouldn't do. Youthful passions is just everything that when you're 20 years old and you want to go on spring break represents, right? And so it's like the spring break lifestyle. It's, it's things young people struggle with because... We don't struggle with it anymore, as all you guys know. It's, so this is lust, temper, squandering money, controlling your tongue, being insatiable, all right? All of these things are youthful passions, right? Most adults don't go trick-or-treating and then eat candy until they vomit. But a little kid is like, this is a whole bag of O. Henry's. They're not even good. Oh, I'm going to crush some O. Henry's right now until I puke, right? Youthful passions. That's what young people do. They have no governor that's telling them to stop, okay? So Paul says, flee youthful passions. Flee what is wrong. You want to run away from that. And within this fleeing is also fleeing controversies and quarrels, right? As we grow up, maybe we no longer fight about which X-man is the strongest. And then we start fighting about other things. And so adults still have that same attitude of divisiveness and quarreling. We just argue about different things now, right? Okay? And so we talked about that last week. Flee controversy. Flee quarrels. Flee arguing about words because it's not productive for the gospel moving forward. That's what we talked about last week. So Paul's saying flee this stuff. If you want to grow, if you want to be useful, flee these things. That's step one. You have to flee those things. So I would, I would pose the question to you, do you feel like you're fleeing those things? Do you feel like you're fleeing those things? Do you feel like you're actively trying to flee? Flee is a big word. It's a small word, actually. But it means a big thing. <laughs> flee, right? Flee. You need to actually flee, run away. Are you fleeing 
from your youthful passions, or are you fleeing from responsibility? Are you fleeing from your youthful passions, or are you fleeing from the things that you know you're supposed to value and prioritize in your life? Second thing is this, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. In other words, pursue things of of God, right? Pursue the things of Christ. Um, Within this, Paul includes pursuing reconciliation among brothers. That's a good thing to pursue. Pursue correcting people in gentleness with respect. That's a good thing to pursue, right? So when someone comes to you and they try to correct you in something that's like a misunderstanding in the Bible, don't get your back up. They're trying to honor Jesus by pursuing righteous things, trying to point out something that the scripture teaches, right? That's a, that's a righteous thing to pursue. Pursuing gentleness, pursuing repentance. These are good things to pursue, Right? And, and the question becomes, well, how do we pursue those things? Because all of us have a natural bent towards law, and it's very easy for me to say, okay, so then give me a list of all the things I need to do, and I'm going to do them. Right? Well, I'm not going to do them, but I'm going to act like I'm going to do them. That's, what we tend to, that's how we tend to think. But the essence of pursuing righteousness is to pursue the one who gives us righteousness, which is Christ. Right? And that's why we sang those three psalms. To be going into the Lord in prayer and the word, to marinate. That's what we like to say here at Revolve. It's you're marinating in the presence of God. And as you marinate, his righteousness, it, it rubs off on you. You start to change. But like Dave said, it's one degree at a time. I was thinking about that. It's like if you think about 180 degrees from, you know, like dead bill to glorified bill, it's like one degree. <laughs> And now I'm like, right now, right now I've been a Christian for 20 years, so I'm like, ah, 20 years, right? <laughs> Still pointing in the wrong direction, it feels like. But you understand the illustration. And so Paul says, you need to flee, flee that and pursue. That's a visual picture of repentance. I flee this, I pursue this. I'm walking in a different direction. So I would pose the question to you, what are you pursuing? I can tell you what you're pursuing mostly based upon your browser history, the Instagram accounts you follow. I can tell you what you're pursuing based upon your plans for the next year, three years, five years, your hopes and your dreams. We pursue money, power, success, pleasure. We pursue all kinds of things. Paul makes it clear, pursue righteousness, peace, faith, and love. But this is the main thing that I want you to see. He says, do this with other believers. Who want the same thing. Do this with other believers who want the same thing. Listen, this is important because your friends can either draw you closer to Christ or they can pull you away from Christ. Okay? Extremely important. You need to do these things in community. So for some of you, that means you have to really think long and hard about the relationships that you have. For some of us, our temptation is not so much to go and, you know, have breakdance fights, like with the sharks or whatever they were called, the jets, you know what I mean? That, that's not our temptation, right? It's probably not your temptation. But some of us, our temptation is to isolate ourselves. So I'm just gonna have no relationships. But if I cut my toe off and if I, you know, throw it into the, oh, I know you guys are all fighting over it. Is that toe gonna get healthier? It's gonna get rotten pretty fast. Right? When we cut off a piece of our body and we throw it in the trunk of the car, we let it fester for a few weeks, you're not going to open up your trunk and be like, oh, it looks so healthy now. 
But that's what Christians do all the time. They isolate themselves from the body of Christ, and then they wonder why they're not thriving in their joy, in their love, in their peace, in their patience, in their kindness, in their righteousness. They wonder why they're cranky. Because we need one another. If you want to be useful to Christ, you need character. If you want to grow in character, Paul's recipe is super simple. He says you flee sin and you pursue Christ with other people. It's not rocket science. You want to grow in character, flee sin and pursue Jesus along with other people. And now comes the warning. Chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Uh Uh-huh. For people will be lovers of self, check. Lovers of money, check. Proud, check. Arrogant, check. Abusive, check. Disobedient to their parents, no. Ungrateful, check. Unholy, check. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, okay? Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul's advice? Avoid such people. Not everyone is going to have good character. Not everyone is going to have good character. Notice all of those terms. None of them have anything to do with competency. You could be an amazing communicator and be an idolatrous, money-hungry, arrogant, abusive. You get my point. All of those things have to do with character, not competency. See, the issue is not that we are less competent than we were a hundred years ago. The issue is that as we get closer to the end, we are rapidly having less character than we did a hundred years ago. But what does Paul say to do with people who won't respond to correction? In the previous paragraph, he said you should correct people. Well, what, do you, what does Paul say to do when you have people who won't respond to correction? Paul says avoid such people. Now, I thought Paul was a Christian. So I'm shocked that Paul would say that. But Paul also said do not be deceived. You probably just thought this was like embroidered on your grandmom's pillow. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. 1 Corinthians 1533. Look, you can't avoid all people in the world because you'd have to leave the world, but it doesn't mean you have to hitch your cart to their horse. That's the difference. The world is the world. You're going to live in the world. You're going to be surrounded by people who you disagree with, people who have bad character, but it doesn't mean you have to move into their house. If you want to grow in character, you need to surround yourself with like-minded individuals from God's family that want the same things. If you want to grow in sin and debauchery, then by all means, surround yourself with people who are pursuing sin and debauchery. You will find it. As you surround yourself with people who are pursuing different things, that's where you're going to find yourself growing. You surround yourself with people who pray together, you're going to grow in prayer. You surround yourself with people who just, I don't know, like, whatever, use your imagination. It's kids present, right? Yeah, you'll find that too. It does matter who you surround yourself with. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk to those people. It doesn't mean that you should practice like double separation and you just kind of like shun everybody like Dwight Schrute. Shun, 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 shun. All right? That's not what you should do. 
But it does mean you should evaluate your relationships. It does mean you should ask yourself the question, who am I running with? Who am I partnered with? Who do I go to advice? To whom do I go to for advice? The answer to these questions really matter. You see, we're called to be in the world, to engage with the world, but not to become like it. Verse 6. For among them, these people of rotten character, are those who creep into households. You know what? I'm going to stop there. We'll save that for next week. And then I'm just going to jump to my conclusion here. So Paul's saying this. If you want to be useful... If you want to be useful to the Lord, you need to pursue gospel character. The way that we pursue gospel character is by fleeing the wrong things and pursuing the right things in community, in community. And that's really what matters. You know, guys, I pray, I pray this morning that you would find that, that you would find that community. Um, Because I think in the United States, community isn't something that we really understand. I think in other countries, community is understood a lot more naturally. But I think in the United States, we think, well, I'm here in this building, therefore now I have community. Being in this building isn't going to give you community. This isn't going to give you community. Community happens when you actually reach out to someone and you engage with them. That's how community happens. Community happens when you go to Seed Week with people you don't know and you spend all week going alongside them and praying with them and learning with them and sharing the gospel with them, that's how community is built. Community is built when you travel with someone and you, and you serve the Lord together. Community is built when you go up to Kensington with someone and you serve the homeless and the addict together. Community happens when you, when you commit to getting together for a week and praying with other people. This is how community is formed. Community is not formed haphazardly. Community is not formed naturally, and as in, like, you can't just hit cruise control and let go of the wheel. Community is formed when you intentionally push into it. Just joining a small group, a discipleship group, will not give you community. You have to push into the relationships to have that community. Now, you don't need to be friends with 150 million people, but there do need to be a few people who you know I'm running with. These people are for me. I'm for them. They're in my corner. If I come confessing grievous sin, they're not going to flaunt it all over the world. They're also not going to beat me over the head with a pipe. But they're going to preach the gospel to me and they're going to help me grow. Everybody needs that kind of community. Now chances are, either you need to reach out to someone and push into that kind of community... Or someone's been reaching out to you because they want you involved in that kind of community. And you need to make a decision of whether you are going to let yourself be part of a community that helps you grow in gospel character. Or whether you're going to isolate yourself or hitch your cart to the wrong horse. Those are conclusions that we all have to come to as we wrestle through this. But if you want to be useful to the Lord, you have to grow in character. And the recipe for growing in character is by fleeing the wrong things and pursuing Christ with other people. It's not supposed to be an individualistic thing that we do. And so that's my prayer for you this week. Let's pray. Father God, um, Lord, I pray that things made sense even though I removed the page notes. I pray, God, that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear from your word. Specifically that idea from verse 22 that we are called to flee, to pursue with other people. 
I pray that we would know that character is more important than competency. I pray that we would know that this isn't for our glory, but for yours. So it doesn't really matter if our competency is lacking because it was never about us getting applause anyway. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would find real community, that they would have brothers and sisters who would run alongside them, that they could run this race together, that when they feel weary, there's people to pick them up, that when they need help, that there's people who will pick up the phone and drop everything to go and serve their brother or sister. God, let us be those kinds of people, that when people call us and they say, can you help? We say, yeah, of course. Lord, let us be the kind of people who engage with others, who try to push into relationships, who step past that awkwardness, and we realize that we have to be intentional about it. And this is how all of us will grow. And so, Lord, we just pray these things in the name of Jesus.